0: Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle.
1: Yoga is really important for me. So whenever I do a yoga practice, as you probably know, I do a headstand mm, as well. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. there's two reasons for doing a headstand. <laughs> One is I really enjoy it.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I think it is really good for you to have that extra blood flow to your brain. But secondly, it's something that a lot of people can't do. So when I'm being bullied or pulled down or you know put up on the stakes, I think about these people and think, can they do a headstand? <laughs>
0: Join me and my expert guests, where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. Why do women struggle with weight during and after the menopause? This is the key question I'm putting to Dr. Louise Newson on today's podcast. As it is the most commonly asked question that I get from not only Doctors Kitchen followers, but also from patients as well. She is the perfect person to be discussing this topic as Dr. Louise Newson is one of the UK's leading medical experts on the menopause and has championed women's health for years. I also discussed with Dr. Louise the three key things that all women should understand about the menopause. If you don't know Dr. Louise, having worked as a GP as well as opening the Newson Health Menopause Clinic, she has built a wealth of knowledge from first-hand experience of treating perimenopausal and menopausal women, and she's also written the fantastic book that I'm recommending to everyone, including patients, called The Definitive Guide to the Perimenopause and Menopause, which lays out everything women need to know to understand and reclaim their power during this stage. It covers key facts about hormones, an essential guide to HRT, navigating early menopause, exercising and eating during the menopause, as well as taking care of your mental health. Today, we also discuss the unlikely way in which Louise found out about her own menopause, which just goes to show how unaware we could all be about these symptoms. Remember, you can watch this podcast On YouTube, and you can see Louise's beaming smile in our wonderful new studio, uh, as well as the studio kitchen. And the easiest way to support the Doctor's Kitchen is to go on YouTube, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. It really does help us out. And another way in which you can support is by downloading the doctor's kitchen app which you can do for free you can get access to all of our recipes specific suggestions tailored to your health needs and yes we are adding menopause as a health goal in the next month i'm also excited to announce that android users will have access to the app in the early part of 2024 we're hoping to do it for january and If you want to be the first to find out about it, you just know what you need to do. You need to subscribe to the newsletter Eat, Listen, Read and the Seasonal Sundays one. We send it out every single week. You can subscribe right now in the link in your podcast player or on the doctorskitchen.com forward slash newsletter and we send out recipes every single week plus lots of things that I'm reading and talking about and thinking about and it's the best way to keep abreast of everything to do with nutritional medicine. For now on to my podcast with the wonderful Dr. Louise Newsome. Before we get started here is a quick word from the people who make this podcast possible. Louise, fantastic to have you here again. Why do women struggle with weight during and after the menopause?
1: So, great question, but there's loads of answers. <laughs> yeah. not one easy answer for that, as you know. So, a lot of it is related to the menopause being a metabolic problem, as you know. So, oestrogen, progesterone, testosterone all have really important biological roles in our body. So, without the hormones lots of our processes don't work as well as you know it's harder to metabolize um sugar you know a lot of people find that they um more prone to insulin resistance to type 2 diabetes because of the changes that occur with estrogen so you've got that side of things but then you've also got the other side of things that a lot of people have symptoms such as reduced motivation poor energy mm. muscle and joint pains Absolutely just blunted affect, like you just can't be bothered to do anything. And Mm. it's really hard to describe unless you've been there to just this whole, like sometimes my children text me, CBA, can't be
0: asked, (laughs) and it's that
1: like, so if you're feeling all of that, I can watch you cook and get so much inspiration, but actually, if I, it's too painful to pick up a pan because I've got joint pain. Yeah. If I'm feeling exhausted and overwhelmed and my whole life is catastrophizing, mm. how am I going to then just go, oh, that five-minute recipe looks so whizzy. Yeah. Oh, but I've got nothing in my fridge. I've got to go to the shops. I've got to... So there's so many reasons where you just pick for something that's not so good. We also know that when your sugar you get sugar cravings when your oestrogen levels are low. So lots of women, and I did for many years, before your periods is where you just like, your body's telling you, I need sugar, I need sugar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you probably saw it as a doctor. People come to you and think, maybe I'm diabetic because I've got these sugar cravings. And of course, diabetes is when your sugar level's high, but they've always addressed the hypos with diabetes. And for years, I never even thought about, could that be related to hormones? But of course, but if you, it's not just a few days, if it's most days... People are. And then poor sleep is a really common symptom. And you know, and I know that if you're tired, what do you do? You make yourself a drink. Oh, maybe I'll have a biscuit. Maybe I'll, you know, just to try and keep myself awake. So there's so many reasons, but it's really hard for women, actually, for those women. Some women don't. Some women will fly through, not have any symptoms, not have any weight changes. But it's really hard. And I know I look back with so much regret as a GP because so many women would come to me and say, do you know what, Dr. Newton? I have not changed anything. My lifestyle is the same. My exercise is the same. My diet is the same. And look at me, I'm putting on weight. And that also happens because our bodies are designed to have oestrogen. It is a hormone that's really important for us, as you know. So if we don't have it, what does our body do? It tries to make it. Well, you might know, I only realized more recently that our brain produces oestrogen. It's not just about our ovaries, but if we haven't got enough in our bloodstream, our fat cells produce oestrogen, mm. but it's a very weak, it's not a great type of oestrogen, it's actually estrone rather than estradiol so it's very inflammatory. Mm but it's more commonly made in the fat cells that are in the midline. So that sort of midline spread yeah. is often your body going, can I have a bit more estrogen actually? Yeah. Um. So lots and lots of reasons why it happens.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting, isn't it? Mm. That middle age spread that a lot of women struggle yes. with. Yeah. And I remember like getting loads of questions about this as a GP and not really having a full no. answer for it until I realized that link between... Fat yeah. cells producing that weak agonist for oestrogen yes. and just overproducing mm. and you just get yeah. the consequences of the oestrogen deficiency. Yeah. I mean, your body is, is, is pretty amazing actually. Your your body has evolved to try and adapt as much as possible. Of course possible. it does and
1: it adapts all the time. I mean our hormones are so interesting, aren't they? Because they never flatline. They're always and they're working with other hormones as well. But I know myself when I was in my mid-40s, I've always been fairly slim and I looked down and when my sleep belt was across, I'm like, oh my God, like, where's this little bulge come from? And I did that sort of muffin top thing. And I remember once my mother, who doesn't, mince her words, said, mm, you put on a bit of weight, right? <laughs> like, what do you mean? And, and also I was really <laughs> irritable as yeah. well because I didn't realise at the time it was perimenopausal. And I felt like just go, kind of, you know, really lamping her. So yeah. Yeah, but she was right because I had put on some weight, but I had no idea why. Yeah. But also even if you just think about sleep, okay, I'm really interested in sleep because it's so important. As you know, it repairs our body, doesn't it? It's Mm. it's crucial. When we've known for many years that poor sleep is associated with increased inflammation in the body, increased risk of diseases, but also obesity as well. Mm. And as you know, if you don't change anything, but you don't sleep very well, you will put on weight. It's just medical fact, isn't it? So there's so much against menopause women actually. Yeah.
0: And it's it's interesting because I'm more often asked, okay, what do I do if mm. I'm putting on weight? You know, what is the strategy? What should I be eating? Mm. What should I be doing in terms of my exercise? And I often say, look, the first thing that you should really be thinking about is self-compassion. And I know it sounds a little bit esoteric and a little bit woo-woo, but actually when you understand the biological responses that are occurring when your estrogen is lower, then you can understand, okay, that's why I'm putting on weight, that's why this is all happening, it's not me, mm. it's my body mm. and the situation that I find mm. myself in. Mm. Is that something that you use yeah. to sort of... Yeah, I mean,
1: a lot of my work is about education and empowerment and choice and that's really important but you can't do any of those three if you haven't got any knowledge yeah. and that's what's really pro- problematic especially with the menopause, has always been a butt of jokes almost oh, yeah. she's menopause or let yeah. her get on with it or if you Google menopause, it's all Always middle-aged women usually gray hair with a fan and it's all about flushes and sweats whereas actually if you unpick the evidence if you see what it is as you say related to hormones and that's where it's really important i think that women have the knowledge so then they can decide what to do about it you know your work you're not saying everybody has to eat the same as me you're allowing people to have a choice and say do you know what guys if you eat these type of foods (laughs) it's healthier than eating this type of food but you know what you're a Free person, do exactly what you want and what's right for you. And that's the same with a lot of this conversation is actually, it's that light bulb moment that it's not your fault. It wasn't my fault that I put on weight at that time. It was the fact that my body was crying out for estrogen and I didn't know about it. So once you know, right, what can I do? And I think it's really important as perimenopausal or menopausal women. We have time to invest in like our plan because so many people talk about the menopause as a transition, this little process. You might have a few hot flashes and then it's gone. Of course, it's not. It's there forever. So I'm fifty three. I don't know how long I live for, but if I hopefully have another 30 years, 30 years as a menopausal woman, I have to really think about what am I going to do? How am I going to be the best and healthiest version of myself? Am I going to consider replacing hormones? Am I going to change my diet? Am I going to change my exercise? How am I going to look at that overall package? And that's where education is so important because you have to go from evidence and choice and and so it's not just as easy as oh maybe I just lose that weight Mm. by not eating for a few days because that's a short term fix Mm. and you know with food there's nothing short term (laughs) about losing weight is that you've got to invest but know what you're doing wrong or what your body's doing wrong and it's often a combination of things because a lot of women we see in our clinic have put on weight because they've been struggling for so long that's why they come if I said to them oh do you know what just go and eat this food or go and exercise that. That's not fair on them, Mm. is it? But actually, when you've got your hormones rebalanced and you're in a better place physically and psychologically, now let's talk about hmm, how many snacks do you have? (laughs) Or, you know, what's your comfort food? And are you really eating late at night? Or how many packets of crisps are you eating? Or did you know that Diet Coke, actually, you shouldn't be drinking? Yeah but they're they're mentally and physically better and want to invest in their future health yeah. so it's this whole combination I think as doctors it's great because we have this multi-pronged approach with all treatment don't we it's not just writing something on a prescription pad
0: yeah or at least it should be that way yeah yeah Yeah, totally i mean i I love the way you sort of introduce that framework of thinking it's not short-termism it's not something that happens over a couple of years and then goes away it's something that you're going to have to uh, deal with and and, and figure out a strategy for over the next 30 40 50 years Um, And I think getting into that mindset of thinking about the long term is Mm -hmm. really important for people. So you're actually laying down a plan for life rather than just something that is in isolation. Yeah.
1: And I think that is crucial. And I wish I'd thought more about it at medical school. And I'm sure you do as well. Like, why are we just thought or taught to be reactive in everything? Why do we wait for a disease to happen and then go, oh, we can give you a treatment, we can give you a drug. Like, why can't we be thinking, mmm, what can I do to be the best and healthiest version of myself? And how can I reduce the risk of diseases? Not just proper diseases, but also my mental health, my physical health, mm. my my sleep, everything, it all interacts mm. and we just don't get taught that. It's almost like, wait for you to have your type two diabetes or your hypertension, and then we'll address it.
0: Yeah. Or, yeah.
1: you know, and, and that's such a shame. Yeah. So this, the earlier we think about an added layer and complexity of hormones, the sooner we can do something
0: about it. Absolutely. I, I think we could definitely talk a lot more about sort of the medical system and everything. Let's drive home some key messages for our audience mm. here. I, I, I voice noted you yesterday and I was like, I wanna change up the podcast a little bit and just give sort of three large sort of nuggets of information that at least anyone listening to this, mm. man or female can, can take away from, from our conversation. So if there are three things, let's dive into the first nugget of information that people should take away from the menopause and, and what you want people to, yeah. to know. I
1: think the most important thing is for me as a physician is that the menopause is obviously something that happens to every woman at some stage in their life. So 51% of the di- of the population directly will be affected by it. So we can't ignore it. Mm. That's the most important thing, I suppose. But also that it's related to our hormones and it's bigger than just a few symptoms. The symptoms we can talk about, and of course they can really affect adversely many women, but it's about the longer term effects of those hormones not being there in the body. Mm. So I've really thought and challenged people for a while thinking it should be actually rebranded and reframed as a female hormone deficiency Mm. with health risks. Mm. Because if you talk about a deficiency, if I told you you were iron deficient, you'd be going, well, how do I get iron? Do Mm. I take it? Do I eat it? What do I do? Um, And after all that's what it is because our ovaries stop working either because we're older or because they've been damaged or removed or whatever. Obviously, I've already said the ovaries aren't our only source of hormones, but they are an important source of hormones. So, without them, we have to think about the consequences. So, I think that's really important because we know estrogens and testosterone and progesterone are very anti inflammatory in our body. If we don't have them, we have more inflammation, we have more inflammatory diseases. Heart disease is number one killer, isn't it, with dementia globally we know taking hormones back reduces the risk by 50%. We've got to wake up to these statistics, 50%. yeah. yeah. It's really important that people understand that hormones are not there just for fertility or not just there for our periods. They go into our brains, they go into our bones, they go into our bloodstream, they go everywhere in our body. So thinking about what the menopause is, is really important. Mm. I think the other thing that's really important is actually thinking about treatment for the menopause
0: I just want to go on to just double click on that point around rebranding this period um uh, or this this stage of of life that leads to you know um the 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 next phases of someone's life a lot of people have an issue with the terminology of Mm. female hormone deficiency Mm. why why do people push back against that sort of idea of rebranding it
1: I think it's some of it is due to ignorance in the few, in the huge you know the, the true sense of the word because we've been taught for many years that menopause is when periods stop. It's a year after the last period. Mm. So it's all about gynecology. It's about and if it's not about period stopping it's about fertility. Now I have a bit of an issue in that Firstly, I don't want to wait a year to diagnose any of my patients. Like how weird. Like, You, you see someone and go, no, come back in a year's time. Yeah. I can't diagnose you yet. That just doesn't happen, does it, in medicine. But then a lot of people don't have periods. If they've had a hysterectomy or they use a Marina coil, you know, that's a really weird concept to be defined by your periods. The other thing is people talk about reduced or no fertility. Mm -hmm. And I also have an issue in that. Not everyone wants children. Not everyone wants to be defined whether they're fertile or not. And for many cultures, it's actually really negative to Mm. not be fertile. So they don't want to know whether they're fertile or not because they could really affect their status in their communities. But also about 3% of women um, under the age of 40 have an early menopause. And a lot of those women are not infertile. They have reduced fertility. So we can't define it by fertility. Yeah. And then I suppose, you know, I've got a pathology degree. I'm quite geeky. So I think, well, what are hormones? What goes on? What, what gets produced? Well, these hormones go into our bloodstream and they're just chemical messengers. And then when you look at the power in their brains, so when we look at Balance App and look at how many, which are the commonest symptoms that people are registering and logging, it's brain fog, it's anxiety, it's yeah. low mood, it's memory problems, it's fatigue. So it's not about what's ha- happening in with our gynecological organs, and it's not even about flushes and sweats. Yeah. So then you think, well, what's going on in our brains? Well, actually, these hormones are neurotransmitters. They're chemicals that help other um, neurotransmitters. They all work really well. And I read recently, it's very interesting, actually, if your brain is damaged, one of the first things it does is produce more estrogen
0: to really? repair the brain.
1: Wow. Yeah. I did not know no. that. And this is an article from like 20 years ago, because... We know how important oestrogen is. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. So you, you sort of think, well, actually then, when it is a deficiency because that's just fact. You can argue that black is white and people do, especially on social media. But actually, if you've got lower hormones because your ovaries mm. aren't working, yeah. maybe deficiency is not the right word, low levels of, yeah, you know. But yeah. that's ex- essentially just describing what it is on the tin, isn't it? Mm, mm. But I think also, no one's been interested in the menopause for many years. <sighs> Because, like, we weren't taught about it, were Which is we? crazy, yeah. We talked so, about this in the last one. So I couldn't yeah. believe, like, just then, how ignorant we are. And about... then it's sort of been handed over to the gynaecologist yeah. because of the definition of fertility and periods. And no disrespect to gynaecologists. They're very good, but they're surgeons at the end of the day. They want to be seeing people who have pathology of their organs. So, you know, fibroids, endometriosis, different gynaecological cancers. They don't really want to be dealing with people who have a systemic illness or systemic symptoms. The same way that if I had an underactive thyroid gland, I wouldn't go and see a head and neck surgeon. Mm -hmm. I would see an endocrinologist. But then, actually, endocrinologists, for some reason, don't get taught very much about sex hormones. Um, In Australia, where I've just been, it's a lot more endocrinologists, but over here, it's always the gynecologists. Mm -hmm. And so, then again, the gynecologists, as you know, have quite quick training into gynaecology. They don't do general surgical training. They don't do medical training. They just really go straight into gynaecology. Whereas actually, you know, I've got a massive medical background, So I've done cardiology jobs, rheumatology jobs. I've done um, neurology jobs, you know, so I'm used to every system in the body. And so then when you think about our hormones getting everywhere and you think about the diseases, you know, if I say to a gynecologist, how many people have you seen with dementia? How many people have you seen with osteoporosis? How many people have you seen if having a heart attack? Probably most of them will say none because Mm. it's not part of their training. Whereas most of us will go, yeah, I've seen loads. And actually... (laughs) I've I've seen so many women with osteoporosis that have been in so much pain I would never want to be like them. Yeah. Or so many women who've been you know, late diagnosis for a heart attack because we know the presentation's quite different in women. So that's where I think it's just, and the other thing I think is that it's really sad. Lots of people don't have this professional curiosity. I think, as you know, medicine's really hard and it's getting harder. So you're on this hamster wheel of yeah. like, well, I do this because that's what I've been told. You know, I've been told that X medicine is really good for Y disease, so that's what I'm going to do. And if you haven't got that cure, so you don't go home and go, oh, let me just read the guideline. Oh, let me just look at the original paper. Let me just see. And when I'm very fortunate. I've worked with the Royal College of GPs for many years, and I wrote a lot of their essential knowledge updates. So when a new guidance came out, I would summarize it. Yeah which is quite hard because then you have to go to the original sources. You can't take the top line headline. It's like reading the front page of the Daily Mail and thinking everything's true. You've got to go back to the original sources. Um, But so much in medicine, we're all so busy that you do read the top line and then you forget a guideline is just a guideline. Guideline, It's not law. And medicine is a Art as well as a science, but yeah. you have to be backed by the science, but Absolutely. the right sort of science as well.
0: Yeah, I, I think that thread around professional curiosity is a really mm. interesting and important one because mm. uh, there is an assumption from people who aren't in the field that we do do deep dives into academia, we do know yeah. the guidelines inside out, mm. and we do have this deep curiosity of things that are outside our discipline. Mm. And I remember, like, when working in ANI, as I, I've done for many years, I was the one to sort of introduce that curiosity to my colleagues. Mm. And actually what happens in a lot of cases is people tend to get curious around sort of nutrition, for example, or lifestyle medicine, Mm. if they've had an insult Mm. to themselves or someone Mm. that's very close to them, rather than the patients that they see Mm. in the first hand and then after they've had the introduction that's when they're like oh i had that patient yes Yes, i kind of understand like put the dots together Mm. so it's a really interesting one Mm. but i I feel that this curiosity is sort of growing Mm. i would say perhaps because of the rise of social media and people like yourself Mm. talking about it but uh, um that's a that's a really important point that i wanted to underline there for the the listeners yeah
1: it is really important it's really important that people are Engaged, And actually, I think what's happening with a lot of my work is that people who are being affected are quicker to understand what's going on than maybe the clinicians that are looking after them. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've I've just reread Eleanor Clegg Holmes' Unwell Women. Uh It's the most amazing book. But, you know, women have been neglected for centuries. You know, we've all been made out that it's... Our womb is is what's evil for us. And if you think of the word hysterectomy and hysteria, you know, we were locked up in asylums many years ago after having a hysterectomy. And then, you know, people. Is that where the word comes from? Yeah, yeah. It's Greek. Hysteria is is womb. Oh, my word. And so people have have for many years documented people's um, mental health has changed throughout their cycle. And they thought it was our womb wandering in our body that was causing this. Um, And then they've different ways to try and suppress women's um, mental health, trying to improve them. So, you know, even giving lobectomies to, yeah. to women. Yeah. You know, it's women just... It, it's almost convenient for women to be quiet and silenced. And, you know, mother's little helpers, the benzodiazepines yeah. that were given. Of course, that was just to try and quieten down perimenopausal and the menopausal women. And so, again we're sort of putting our head up going, hang on, mentally it's really affecting us. Mm. No, it's all about flushes and sweats. Don't be ridiculous. Mm. So yeah. it's, it's, there's a bit of the science, but there's a bit of a women are just not being heard yeah. and it's yeah. gone on and on and it's going on. But I think what's happening with our generation because of social media is women are going, actually, no, this isn't right. I want a choice. And I think that's what I said at the beginning, it is about choice. You know, if I was sitting in front of a doctor and they said, look, you could choose to have your natural hormones back or you could choose antidepressants for your low mood. I don't know whether you've got clinical depression or it's your hormones, which would you like to try? Well, I'd go for some natural hormones first, thanks. And if they don't work, I'd continue them because they've got health benefits, but I'd take an antidepressant as well. Mm. But I wouldn't just go and have an antidepressant. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you want
0: to look upstream and you want to get to the yeah, foundation of the problem, totally. which yeah. in a, I mean, there's a big... Uh, uh, as a big sign there like this is what happens to your hormone so why don't we yeah, try replacing those
1: it's not rocket science uh, yeah. <laughs> it's actually not and yeah. Rebecca Lewis who you know what the clinical director of me, is often referred to me as Simmelweis and uh, I don't know if you know the story of Simmelweis no no tell really me really interesting Austrian gynecologist okay there was a play recently called Simmelweis, um which Mark Ryland played this guy he, it was an amazing play but he basically was a gynecologist in the 1800s and half of the hospital he worked at, the women were delivered by gynecologists, the other half by midwives. But the mortality rate for the women and the babies... Uh, ah, yeah. okay,
0: yes, I know the story. Yeah. But no
1: one believed him when he said "There's a there's a difference. And so the main guy said... It's because of the building layout, the windows, there's something happening with the windows or whatever. So when he went on holiday, he swapped them so that the other side were doing the the, the deliveries for the doctors. The mortality rate was still higher in doctors. Mm -hmm. And then he suddenly thought, mm, what else is going on? The only other difference is they were doing the post-mortems next to the delivery suite for the doctors and the women, of course, weren't allowed to go into their post-mortem, the autopsy room because they were of a you know, nervous dip- disposition, of course. <laughs> women are so much more fragile than men. But they would wear the same aprons, have their dirty hands, and then go and deliver a baby. So he then thought, "Mm, maybe if we wash our hands, there's something, and no one knew about germs then, but there's something coming from our hands and the aprons to these women. Mm. And they just said he was mad, and he was excluded from all professional societies. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he wasn't allowed to... To pre- present his data, he kept saying, They said, 'No, it's not.' No, it's not. And in the end, he ended up in a mental hospital and he had a straitjacket and he was beaten to death. Oh, and it's wow. really sad. I had
0: no idea. About yeah, that and now of story. it's like,
1: you know, what's the biggest thing that's made a difference to health is hand washing, sanitation. But he was really, really, and, and so many times, that I, I, as you know, I get really upset with not being listened to often. And I often say to my husband, am I demented? Am I mad? Have I have I missed reading certain papers or academic articles because I'm so convinced how healthy hormones are? But I, I can't read any of these other papers because they're not there. It's just white noise of people trying to... Sort to of shut me down. But it's, you know, and even if you look at Louis Pasteur, he wasn't even a doctor, so no one believed him. <laughs> it's really interesting. <laughs> did. I didn't realise that either. Yeah, what? Yeah. Oh, my word. So I gave a presentation. I'm I'm on the board of something called Women, which is Women in Medicine International Network. And I was talking about medical gaslighting and the menopause. So I was just you know, about to say, it really sounds like you're being
0: gaslit. Well, by women the... are, you yeah.
1: see. Women come to see us and they say, I've been told it can't be my hormones. I've been told I need a relaxation tape. I've been told, you know, we see lots of women who are on antidepressants, on antipsychotics, on lithium. ECT recently seen very few women have been given ketamine infusions and they've said I think it could be my hormones oh, no it's not your hormones you've got bipolar you've got manic depression you've got schizophrenia mm. so it's um, so they are being gaslit really aren't they yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah this brings us on to the second, second point That was a long nicely, number not Yeah, yeah, no, right. yeah that's great I mean I got two stories out there that I hadn't come across the Simmerweiss <laughs> and the fact that Louis Pasteur wasn't a yeah. doctor <laughs> I would do more reading of my medical history Um so treatment, yeah. So this is a obviously a very big yes. topic that you're very passionate about.
1: Yeah. So I think the other thing with number two would be looking at treatment when we think about hormones mm. and looking at rather than what are the risks of taking it, spin it on its head just for a, maybe for just next year. Let's just do it for a year and see what happens. What are the risks of not taking hormones? And I think that's going to be a really interesting question that people should be asking themselves. And... There will be some people who won't want to or have been told they can't. Some people are told they can't. There's never a no in medicine. There's a, mm, there might be more risk, let's discuss it. Mm-hmm. But we can also think about vaginal hormones because everybody can have those. Whether you've had an oestrogen receptor breast cancer or not, they're still safe. And the government recently put out something trying to reduce urinary tract infections because urosepsis is really common in women so that's sepsis as you know due to a urinary tract infection lots of women have cystitis lots of women have urinary tract infections and there's overwhelming evidence that using vaginal hormones either estrogen or um, prasterone which contains dhea so it converts to estrogen and testosterone really reduces you know urinary tract um, infections so those should be considered first line so if anyone's on a treatment for an overactive bladder for incontinence if they're using tenor lady pads or incontinence pads first thing they should be thinking of why am i not using vaginal hormones
0: is this something? Do you have? Do we have any stats on the prevalence of those symptoms? Because from my anecdotal experience, very common.
1: Oh, it's really common, and yeah. you know what? A lot of women won't say. So, yeah. so some yeah. of my friends yeah. will say, "No, I've got no problems," and then they'll go, "Oh, well, I've stopped running now because mm. you know I just get a bit of a
0: mm. trickle
1: or coughing and sneezing." Yeah. or oh, so they but that's normal. They're sort of it's been normalised so much, and some of the marketing for the pads and whatever else has helped in some ways as in it hasn't helped really, because people then go, oh, well, I just pop a pad in and everything's fine, Right, but it's not. Yeah, it's and, literally and a
0: sticky plaster over yeah, the Yeah, the and issue. then also
1: obviously there's big pharma, so there's lots of drugs now that we can use for overactive bladder, but they all have side effects. A lot of them are based on like an oxybutynin affects acetylcholine, antimuscularinic. We know those drugs increase risk of dementia. I've already said menopause increases risk of dementia. Why on earth would you take that? Some people don't get the wrong need to have these drugs. But if anyone's on those drugs, they should also be using vaginal hormones. And we've been doing some really interesting work with some people, and some urologists in America who've done a lot of these studies. And it's outrageous, actually, that we're not giving, you know, um, vaginal hormones first line, not even just to people who are, menopausal or perimenopausal, but women postnatal, women who are on the contraceptive any woman, any woman who has urinary symptoms, we should be thinking about that because it can also improve the flora, the, the, the microbiome of the vagina as well, and have really beneficial effects. And they're really low dose, mm. and they're really safe. Yeah, You know, yeah. in medicine, you want the safest thing first. Yeah. The yeah. thing with the less side effects, with the best efficacy, And so that's something that I think question two should be, why am I not on either systemic hormones vaginal hormones or about 20% of women on HRT need vaginal as well so yeah. thinking is, more about hormones th- yeah. This is
0: what I love about you Louise because not only do you bang the drum and not only do you give the information out to the public but behind the scenes and perhaps people don't realise mm. this you go and you speak to the specialist directly yes. you go and present to their conferences or their yeah. meetings or whatever and so you're actually speaking to the urogynecologist yeah. the urologist you know whatever discipline yeah. in, you're probably like inundated with how many meetings you have to go to because Of the fact that menopause affects so many different specialties. Do you know what, I
1: love it because you know, in medicine it's about connecting with people and sharing knowledge and I think that's probably why I'm disrupting because some people don't like knowledge being shared even with patients but actually I feel it's almost like our duty to give our patients as much information as possible Mm -hmm. and I've always done a lot of work as a medical writer and everything else because you get better consultations don't you when your patients come from from a from from power and knowledge um but it's also collaborating so part of my am i semelweiss type am i going mad (laughs) it's like well let's talk to other people and see what they're doing and talk to people i really respect so when i've been talking a lot recently to the most amazing lisa who i'm sure you know Mm, neuroscientist yeah she's been on the pod twice yeah and um i've She's been looking at her new book which is coming out soon I've just read it all and gone through it with a red pen so the hormone bits are accurate and, <laughs> and she's brilliant we had such a great call but that three years maybe more five years ago I spoke to her and she's like "Oh, hormones oh HRT oh because she's not a doctor she's a yeah, neuroscientist course, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, she so she's working with doctors who talk about the risks of HRT uh-huh. so she was a bit sort of oh Louise you might mu- you would say that and now she's like oh my goodness, the role of oestrogen in the brain and we're going to start researching testosterone in the brain as well. And she's just come and that's what you do. If you're a really good, clever person, you know, if I'm telling you black is white, you'll go, don't be ridiculous. But actually, maybe she's got a point. Maybe I'll go and read. And that's where the conversations are just brilliant. You know, because Lisa has gone off because I've been pushing her and sending her papers. And then she's actually, Louise, yes, this is, you know. And then I said to look, none of it, it's very surprising. She's telling me about some of the studies that she's done, which she'll report on soon. And I'm talking about my clinical practice and it, they all work. It's the same. So it's that and that's where when you when you talk to like-minded people, and that's where medicine can make advances because we have to look, you know, when Sackett talked about evidence-based medicine, you talk about the clinical evidence as well as the scientific evidence yeah. and marrying them up. Yeah. And I think for too long, people have tried to make the menopause into a scientific evidence thing on very limited evidence. And that's part of the problem, as you know, with the WHI study. Yeah. They've been trying to just look at the data and it, you know, people don't work out of textbooks. Mm. You know, we're all different. So we all mm. have different symptoms. We have different life experiences. We have different requests for treatment. But that's
0: fine. Yeah, and I think that's where the clinical experience Mm. really pays dividends Mm. because you can have that frank conversation with someone about the benefits and the risks. And I think it's an interesting idea to flip it on Mm. its head in terms of, okay, here are the risks, but these are the benefits Mm. or what are the risks of you not having this treatment, for example. Mm. So it's a a good thing, I think, for us as clinicians to think about often as well. Yeah, Yeah. I
1: think so. Because it just... Just opens your mind, then, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that's number two. two. <laughs> that's treatment. That was li- slightly shorter. I thought that you were going to go for short, a bit more. It? Actually, no, yeah. Sorry, just in that, <laughs>
1: isn't it? <laughs> that's
0: good. That's all good. Uh, so, what 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 would you say is the, the third thing that all people need to to know about the menopause?
1: This might sound really obvious, but I think people need to know that the menopause lasts until the day we die. Because so many times people think, I'll oh, just get through it. I'll get through to the other side. I'll battle through my symptoms because my mum did and my sister did and my mm. auntie's doing it or whatever. Um, so I think that is a really important thing. And even clinicians often think it's it stops when symptoms yeah. stop. Yeah. And I think we need to remember that it doesn't stop, you know. And so then it makes us sharpen our minds and think about more what we're going to do. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's a really important. Quite, that's quite a short one. Isn't no, no, it? no. No. But I think it's, it's it's quite, no, it's very
0: important though because yeah. if you think about it through the spectrum of what happens after the menopause, mm. you know, or, I mean, we've talked about some of the depressing statistics regarding increased risk of uh, osteoporosis, increased risk of dementia, increased risk of cardiovascular disease, and coming up with a plan and mm. many more. Coming up with a plan mm. of how you're going to deal with that mm. and balance the risks of treatment yeah. and all the other things mm. that you do talk about in your books as well regarding nutrition and lifestyle and mindset. I think that's an important consideration for medicine in general, not just through the lens of women's health.
1: Yeah, yeah, no. It's really important because thinking, you know, and we won't need to discuss it now, but, you know, is is the menopause an illness? Is it a disease? Mm. I could talk for hours about that. Mm. It's the same as you could probably. Is obesity a disease Mm. or an illness or is it not? And actually, do you know what? I don't really care. It's associated (laughs) with health risks. And that's what we've got to wake up to. And it's the same with hypertension, is that an illness or a disease? Because it doesn't cause symptoms. You know, if I had high blood pressure today, it probably wouldn't cause me any problems. The problem is it will last unless I do something about it. And it's exactly the same. We need to think about that side of things That's a really good parallel to
0: use because in a lot of cases, hypertension doesn't have any symptoms. what I keep on telling my patients, and I keep on telling my family members as well, like... Just because you can't feel anything doesn't mean Absolutely. you're not at high risk. Yes, And I guess that's a fantastic yeah. lens to view yeah. menopausal women who do not have symptoms. And I think today.
1: that is crucially important because there's so much, like I've already said, of women not being listened to. So sometimes, even at some of the meetings where they're more senior meetings with sort of government whatever... And I'll say, well, take the suffering away. Just pretend no one has any symptoms. We still need to think about the health risks. Mm -hmm. And that sort of plays with people's minds because for so long, we've only thought about symptoms of the menopause. And I think that's the only way where we're thinking about global health how important it is because then there's this thing, well, in some cultures and languages, we don't have a word for the menopause and Japanese women eat more soy so they have less symptoms or or Asian women don't have symptoms. Well, of course they do, but they don't talk about it. They might talk about their total body pain or they might talk about their headaches. But of course, but let's forget about the symptoms let's look at asian populations or some asian populations where there's a far increased risk of cardiometabolic problems increased risk of type 2 diabetes and obesity and actually they have a lower average age of the menopause so let's just think about it as a metabolic it's a cardiometabolic problem menopause so let's take the symptoms away and then that really blows people's minds but we have to
0: I want to talk a bit more about your light bulb moment uh, <laughs> that you referenced at the start of your book. Uh, I can't remember if it was both books, but I think it was certainly probably surprising for a lot of people that someone oh who has seen thousands of patients themselves didn't recognise the symptoms no. themselves of, of, of the menopause. Yeah. Well, could you tell us a when bit it's, about it's, how you found I mean, out? It
1: is, it is so embarrassing, isn't it? So, Because it was in 2015, so... Um, what happened as a medical writer, um, i always said I do the essential knowledge, Oh, I did the essential knowledge up, updates for the Royal College of GPs. So uh, my remit was to review the NICE guidance that had just come out. And um, actually, I was training to be a menopause specialist. So I'd done a two-day course the day the NICE guidance came out. Um, so that's nearly eight years ago now. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. And I'd, before that, if... You were my patient. You came to me and said, I'm getting flashy sweats, I'm menopause, and I'd give you some tablet HRT. I really was a one-size-fits-all just to have it (laughs) because I didn't know what else to do, you know. Um, But I wasn't looking for it, if you see what I mean, and I didn't realise all the myriad of symptoms and so forth. So, as I said, when you ask to write something, you can't just do the top line. So I had a couple of weeks where I literally, it was a, a lovely. I love right, reading papers and getting very excited by science. So I literally went back to the, the papers. But a lot of the papers were pre-WHI, so before the Women's Health Initiative study, which flawed um, HRT prescribing. And looking at all the biological effects of hormones, reading about inflammation. And I did a lot about inflammation in my pathology degree. So I even got out my notes from 1992 (laughs) many years ago. And it all just then suddenly you get this light bulb moment go, wow, 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 writing all this. And then um, I became a fellow of the Royal College of GPs and we had a family lunch and a family friend said, Louise, you've got so much knowledge and information, why don't you set up a website? And I went, I've got not time for that. (laughs) And the next day I had this menopausedoctor.co.uk website in my inbox, like click on this link said Anthony, I've set some basic stuff up. So I started writing some information um, because this was writing for non clinicians. But then I was really tired and I write a lot and work a lot in the evening because of having three children, it's the time when they've gone to bed, i run to my desk and that's it for the next few hours. And I kept looking at my husband and going, Paul, I'm just exhausted. Like, I feel like I'm pregnant. I knew I wasn't, but it's just this, like, you've been drugged tiredness. It's not, you know, sometimes you're a bit tired at three o'clock in the afternoon slump. You go, right, I'll just maybe have a cup of tea or I'll do something or go and get some fresh air. Like, you couldn't, and I was... And Paul, I've known him since I was eighteen. Just goes, yeah, you look a bit rubbish. Actually, you're like, you look really sallow. You look really... so. Then I was like, I'm really cross. Really, everything was just an effort. Everything was like thinking through treacle, and I just couldn't be bothered. Like I was saying at the beginning, really, a lot of those symptoms. I do quite a lot of yoga. But I was just, whenever I did with my Lycron, I'd look down at my tummy and think, oh no, this is like, you know, I'm putting on weight. I had muscle and joint pains. So that was yoga. If you, as many people know, do yoga. If you do good practice and flow through, it's lovely. But if you don't, you feel like a rusty tin can. It's horrid. Um, and I just was getting less and less interested in things. But the worst thing was I was getting night sweats. So I was waking up three, four in the morning Just dripping in sweat. And I'm not a sweaty person. And I'd look at my husband sleeping and think, I can't wake him up, but I need to strip the bed. So I feel like I've wet myself. Honestly, it was horrible. Mm. So I'd go and get a towel, lie on it, think, oh. And then because I think I said to you, I had pancreatitis many years ago. And part of my recovery, I was getting a lot of night sweats. Okay. Probably because the pancreatitis had affected my hormone levels then. I didn't know, but that's another story. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. So then I said to my husband, oh my gosh, I'm really worried about my pancreatitis coming back because it was so awful. He said, Well, maybe you've got a lymphoma. And I said, Oh, yeah, because a lymphoma, that's a type of cancer where you get night sweats. So, you know, you always catastrophize as a doctor, I love how you. he suggested yeah, that I know. so casually. I know. Oh, maybe it's just lymphoma. And then I said, but, but, well, I, I don't want to go and find out because I want to set up this menopause clinic. And I want to, I'm just starting doing with this website. <laughs> Classic and, Louise. And, I know. And Jessica, my oldest daughter, was showing me how to use Instagram then because okay, it was yeah, like yeah. a new thing. She yeah, was like, "Mummy, yeah. post every day some of the stories you're telling me in the clinic about people who are tired have joint pains, who are waking up in the night. You know, all the, like, all the things that I was getting. I was like, oh, okay. So I... So I said, I can't, I haven't got time to go to the doctors. I really don't want to. Let's just leave it a bit and see. But I was getting worse and I was feeling awful. And I, and I thought maybe I'm depressed. Then my migraines were getting so much worse. And my, my dad, when he died, he had a brain tumor. So I thought, and he presented with a headache. So I'm thinking, oh, no. What else is going on? And it's quite horrible actually. It makes me realize for patients, when you don't know enough, you can really easily catastrophize about your health. And then I thought, well, I'll never get an appointment, and who's going to take me seriously? And I've only got ten-minute appointment, so do I talk about my headaches or my joints or my low mood or my, you know, it's like yeah. it's, and then I won't be taken seriously if I go and say I think I've got a lymphoma. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just
0: you've really got the uh, like so, the, the experience of a true yeah. patient there. And hey?
1: then um, and then I remember very very clearly actually, as I said to you, we're very fortunate we've got an argo in our kitchen, so it's quite warm in there anyway. And I was chopping an onion, trying to cook, ready for the next next day because I always sort of prepare a lot of food and my daughter my middle daughter then was about 13 14 and she was just getting into a bit of social media flicking her hair she's um, she's great but she's always pushed me on the edge of it we're very similar in personalities that's why so I said Sophie you just need to switch your phone off and go upstairs have a shower go to bed I'm really sick of keep asking you and I remember putting down the knife thinking god this is really <laughs> frustrating she went, mommy, do you know what? You are so miserable. You are so angry all the time. Do you think maybe you need your period? Because you're a bit like some of my friends who get a bit emotionally labelled just before their periods. And then I remember putting down the knife and going, oh my goodness, Sophie, I've not had a period for months. And then it's this complete light bulb. Ah, all these symptoms that I'm having, of course, that's what I'm writing about. I was lecturing to people saying, it's not about hot flesh and sweats, it's about da-da-da-da-da. It was just this amazing... So I felt like hugging her, although I couldn't because obviously I was crossing. <laughs> with her.
0: Yeah.
1: But then, you see, this is the next part, and I think this is what drives me to work so hard, is then I sat there thinking, right, so how am I going to get help? How am I going to get HRT? Mm. Because I knew from my friends the practice I was registered at, there was only one doctor that would prescribe HRT and she was part-time and she was still only prescribed like the tablet type and mm. I wanted the, the natural body identical hormones. So I thought, what do I do? I can't prescribe for myself. I can't get my husband to prescribe. I, I want to see someone properly. Yeah. I want to really you know, have a good treatment plan. So then the consultant that I knew really well, I knew was really fully booked. So I phoned up and it was in the June time and he said, the, the receptionist said, oh, the appointment's the 23rd of December. I was like, do you know who I am? <laughs> and I said, of course she doesn't know who I am. Like, I was so cross, I have apologized to her too. I was so, but then, but this shows how bad my mind was because I remember being with my daughter, Jessica, we were just having a, a drink. Um, we'd gone out somewhere in London because I remember we were sitting outside and saying to her, look, in 10 minutes, I've got to make this really important phone call because this guy fitted me and he said, I can talk to you at nine o'clock. I said, great, it's 10 to nine. I said, look, in 10 minutes, I made this phone call. Five past nine, he phones me and says, Louise, you were gonna phone me. I said, oh my God, I'd forgotten. That's how bad my mind had been, which again, is quite hard to describe when, you know, when your mind's working, but it was, everything was so difficult. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Yes, I really need your help, I'm really struggling. And and then I started HRT and my mother-in-law, who's been on it for many years, and my mom was like, oh, so you're feeling better? And it's like, no, I'm not. So I don't feel any different. Maybe my night sweats have improved, but nothing really felt better. I increased my dose of estrogen felt a little bit better and then the consultant said what about trying some testosterone I was like oh right isn't that male hormone isn't that going to give me a beard all the things that people needlessly worry about but I'd already written don't forget a lot about testosterone read about it read about its effect in our brains and our muscles and so forth so I said well there's nothing to lose and I um started using testosterone after about three or four months I was like right this is amazing I have come back and I should have really started it probably 10 years ago Mm -hmm. you know I it's and then I thought actually this is so wrong that even me as a white middle class educated doctor struggled to get the right treatment that I had to pay for like why is this happening and so I think that's what was the sort of the final thing that I thought, yeah. you know what, I'm not going to stop until everybody that wants hormones can have them. Yeah. And whether that's 10% of people or 90% of people, I don't really care, but that's where it's about choice. Yeah. And that's where it's been stripped really, because I can't think of any other medicine that's evidence-based, that's in nice guidance, that's being denied to denied. people.
0: Yeah, yeah, It's It's, it's an incredible story. And I just love the <laughs> impetus that was, <laughs> Your child I know. having to tell you that you're menopausal. It's
1: quite something, yeah, isn't it? I know. Yeah. But I think that's the, that's where, if I could have number four, which you probably won't let me, is like no, everybody needs to know about it. Mm. It's not a woman's problem mm. because 49% yeah. of the population will indirectly be affected because they know someone. And I don't know if you saw, I did a podcast recently with my 12-year-old daughter.
0: And I saw it on Instagram. Yeah, that's sort of so sweet. Yeah, well, I was doing yeah. my
1: 20 year old because it's it's like, like kick ass generation. Like she uses body identical hormones for her migraines to, to smooth over her own hormones. And that's her decision. And it's worked really well because she gets some PMS as well. But when I was trying to arrange the date, my 12 year old says, Well, mommy, what about me? <laughs> Can't I? I thought, like, Oh, I know. If I could talk for half an hour to see you on a podcast about menopause. And she did so well. But actually, she's going, People need to know. And it's like, yeah, they do. It's really important because if you want other people to recognize it, you don't, but what you don't want though, Rupi, is for people to go, oh, Louise, are you a bit hormonal? Oh, never mind. What I really want is somebody to say, do you know what? There is help, there is treatment, and read this book, listen to this, watch this, just work out what's the right help for you. Because I think that's part of the problem now is that, There's lots of people now talking about the menopause, so much so that people are just a bit bored with it. But they're recognising it but they're not actually taking the next step of working out what to do about it because they think it's just a few symptoms that will last a little length of time. Yeah. Do you see what yeah. I mean, so It's the next step is yeah. really important.
0: Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's more than just a public service because you're improving not just the quality of people's lives and the healthiness of it, but the productivity mm. It's going to have a knock-on effect on businesses mm. and the growth of the country, et cetera, et cetera. So there's just so many wide ramifications mm. of people being better educated, and having better access to mm. treatments. That, yeah. as you said, is already a nice guidelines. Yeah. It's really about access. Yeah. Um, we could talk a lot more. I know you've got more than four points uh, to <laughs> hear, but I think those are like really important, you know, the rebranding element, mm. the availability of treatments, the, um, the fact that this is a lifelong mm. Um, stage and uh, the fact that everyone, uh, male or female, needs to know about it. Let's go into some quick fire questions that we crowdsource from some of our community. We've already answered a couple of them actually. So you talked about stress and sleep. How do you deal with stress? Because you're you're incredibly busy. Every time like we chat on the phone. Or you send me a voice note. So I'm running between here and there. You've got to go to Houston after this. How do you sort of introduce a bit of calm into your life and stress less? I- I'm personally interested in that.
1: Yoga okay. is really important for me. So whenever I do a yoga practice, you probably know I do a headstand mm, as well. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. there's two reasons <laughs> for doing a headstand. One is I really enjoy it. Uh-huh. I think it is really good for you to have that extra blood flow to your brain. But secondly, it's something that a lot of people can't do. So when I'm being bullied or pulled down or, you know, put up on the stakes, I think about these people think, can they do a headstand? <laughs> probably can't. That. So, so there's a bit of a power. The other thing is that I'm quite good with, and yoga's taught me this, to be mindful and to meditate a bit and to enjoy the moment. And maybe it's the fact that, you know, my my dad was, you know, died when I was nine, that I you've got to save at every moment in life. And that sounds really cheesy, doesn't it? But actually none of us know what's around the corner. So there's no point me waiting until I'm older and I'm more financially stable and I can be with my children or go, you know, on a holiday to the sunset with my husband. I've actually got to enjoy what I'm doing, but also making the most of each available moment. So like I've got a list of a thousand things to do, but whether I worry about it or not, I'm here doing this podcast with you. So why don't I enjoy every moment of it? Because I'm not gonna have it again. And it's the thing someone said to me, you always regret not doing something, but you don't regret doing it. And so it's sort of just trying to live in the moment and not, not pull myself down. But don't get me wrong, there are lots of times where I'm just, oh my goodness me. Not try not to get overwhelmed but I'm good at sleep I don't sleep for very long uh-huh. but I've really trained myself uh-huh. to sleep well and switch off How I do you do that? Because so I struggle with that I really
0: struggle, I've started um I mean one of the best, because I wear an aura ring, yeah, I'm not I do by too. Them or anything but yeah. yeah I think it's great yeah. Um uh I if I eat three hours before, at least three hours before going to bed, sleep's great mm. really really good, if I eat Anywhere in between yeah. that window three to zero, uh, I know that I will end up waking up at like 3, 3.30 mm. in the morning. And then as soon as I wake up, uh, my mind starts. Oh, that's hard. It, it is hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And it's like, you know, I feel like I'm a bit of a fraud sometimes. I talk about sleep and all these like, mm. you know, these sort of like things that you should be doing and mm. like you know, bedtime lighting and taking away TV, electronics, all that kind of stuff. But I, I struggled to put it into practice myself. Mm. But it's interesting that you don't have an issue with Yeah,
1: the... and it's interesting. So when I was, I wish I'd had my aura ring when I was perimenopausal because I'd spend about nine hours in bed and I'd be, as they say, I was exhausted. So yeah. I'd go straight to sleep, but then I'd be wide awake at two o'clock, three o'clock. Sometimes yeah. it'd be my night sweat would wake me up. Sometimes it's just waking. And of course, my hormone levels were low then. So having hormones, definitely. And it's the biggest thing that patients thank me for is mm. their sleep coming back. Oestrogen mm. and testosterone and progesterone, it all can have really beneficial effects on our sleep. So that obviously, yes, you can do all the things that everyone knows, the self-care thing is really. But also I, I do know how to meditate. So if I wake up catastrophizing about whatever's going on in the yeah. business, I will just switch off my brain. And I used to worry that I couldn't meditate well. But for those listening, often it's just, Thinking and visualizing and clearing your brain. Just, I, I sort of pretend my brain's covered in Teflon. So any thoughts that come in, I'm just literally deflecting them. Yeah. And that's a really good way of just like. I'm going to use that. So that's quite, mind that is a good teflon. thing. Yeah, like it is. That. Yeah,
0: yeah. Because
1: otherwise I used to read all these books around meditation. And then I'd be thinking, am I sitting in there or lying in the right place? Am I breathing right? Am I this? So you think about it. So your brain's full of other stuff. Yeah. And what yeah. you want to do is empty your brain. And then I also think, is thinking about sleeping is resting. So even if I'm not physically asleep, I've just got to rest every single organ and part of my body. Mm. And so, and if you're really rested, of course, then you'll drift off to sleep. So I think the power of thinking about, well, it doesn't matter if I'm awake or not. Mm. What matters is I'm resting and restoring my body. Mm. And then often that really helps too.
0: When you meditate, do, do you use uh, guided meditations, music, no. silence? Is it just You're silence? Just silence. Because
1: if ah. I put something on, I'll start to then listen you start, to that. Yeah,
0: yeah. So no. I, 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 use silence as well. Mm. I actually use my Aura ring as well. <laughs> it's turning into yeah. a big ad for Aura. They don't sponsor. They yeah. should sponsor it. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I use my my ring just to see like what my mm. heart rate is doing and mm. like what my um, heart rate variability is doing. Um, and I enjoy the silence. But sometimes I do enjoy a nice guided meditation yes. in the morning just to sort of get myself yeah. in the right frame and just mm. put some training wheels on. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm
1: very lucky. So I have um, someone that comes and teaches me yoga, Shtanga Yoga, on a Wednesday morning. So it's my big reset of the week. Amazing. Um, someone called James Critchlow, who's in his 60s now. He's been y- doing yoga before yoga wasn't really a thing. Yeah. And And his voice is so calm. So even if he never taught me, just hearing him, he's just how you imagine. A yoga teacher to me. Yeah, be. yeah. So I often it sounds mad, doesn't it? I'm thinking about James when I'm in bed with <laughs> my husband. Like, it's not that. It's he's taught me to you know leave your baggage outside the room. This hour and a half yoga that I do on a Wednesday morning is about me and my mat and focusing and i think the ability to focus on what you're doing in the same way when people say how why do you how do you get so much done because if i have a spare 5 minutes i will do something really constructive in that 5 minutes i won't just go well i do sometimes go on my phone and scroll the you know media of course but but a lot of the time i will be writing an article sending an important email doing things and then i'll switch off and go to the next thing mm. so i think it's that and i've often said to james I wonder what I'd be like if I hadn't done yoga for 20 years. Mm-hmm. I do wonder if yeah. I'd just been doing like high-intensity exercise or running or something different. Because I think as part of your planning for your menopause is thinking about the exercise, what's it doing for you? Because a lot of people, as you know, exercise because they want to lose weight yeah. or they want to look physically good. But it's got to be, it's a bit like eating. You've got to do it from within and it's about how you feel, not how you look. Yeah. And it's so superficial in our lives at the moment, aren't they? You know, you look at everyone's Instagram, they all look so happy. You're not gonna put your family arguments on your Instagram <laughs> are you? or the times that you're really miserable. So I think just realizing that also you personally are responsible for what you do and what you eat and how you are. So we can always blame other people. We can always mm sort of think oh i'll do it tomorrow or whatever but we are, we've got to take responsibility for what we do and what we are and who we are and i think once you realize that it takes many years to realize that yeah no, but definitely. once you realize that then you've got to be at peace with what you're doing yeah. and it's and no you're never going to be perfect and you're yeah. never going to please everyone yeah because yeah. otherwise you set yourself up to fail don't you
0: yeah absolutely absolutely um I've got two other quick fire ones because I know we could talk more (laughs) about them. Um, How do you think about protein? Um, So there's a lot of sort of Mm. attention being given to uh, protein, particularly uh, as as we age. And there's sort of like two kind of camps, Mm. I would say. There's like the plant-based camp the blue zone sort of yes. camp which is low protein high fiber yeah. focus on on diversity in plants and then you've got the sort of more pragmatic camp which yeah. is sort of like you need protein you need to uh, stave off sarcopenia which is mm. uh, an inevitability as we age yeah and i think there's a lot of confusion yeah. so i'm really interested in to. well do you know what you- it's so
1: interesting because i think women's health is really controversial but i tell you what nutrition is even more mm. sometimes i look at people I and mean, you must get it it's just like oh yeah i get it what so well, I think there's two things there. I think the first thing is we're all different. Yeah. So I don't think you can give the same diet to the same people and have the same effects. And I'm sure you'd agree with that. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. And I think secondly, we just need to think of a balanced whatever we're doing so even the plant-based you've got to have more protein some of the people that are just pushing protein it might be fine for them here and now but actually let's look at the bigger picture and yes if I was exercising hardcore every day of course I'd need more protein but I'm not Mm -hmm. so I think it's we shouldn't be shoehorned into something and I think we should do what's right for us and often with with food you do experiment a bit and i think it's really sad when people are oh, i'm having a pure vegan diet because i've read this and i know it's going to help or i'm going to just have this you know like look at the atkins diet from ages ago yeah you know he was obese wasn't he yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. so i think i think don't worry about changing your diet but experimenting and you know i don't eat meat so i am conscious that i probably should have more protein but there are ways of having protein. You don't always have to have meat. Yeah. You know, there's this, I think, variety, but not being too worried if you're not getting it right. Yeah. Because I think it's so hard with food because you have to eat. And then we tie ourselves up in knots all the time, don't we? And I still think, I hope you agree, there's sort of 80, 20%.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. If 80% of what you're doing is good, yeah, then don't worry about the 20%. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's because you always hear one side of everything don't you and yeah there's, definitely and it, there's no there's no randomised controlled studies about whether pure protein or pure this of course we can't yeah because
0: we're dealing with like real world Mm. scenarios and in reality we're not in a metabolic chamber Mm. where you can exactly quantify your macronutrients the availability of a particular protein of course you can't and if
1: if i eat meat in stratford-upon-avon and you eat meat in london it's going to be different (laughs) anyway you can't even compare with that and then also you know you look at blue zone but i'm very interested in epigenetics Well, their genetic makeup is going to be very different. So what they eat and how that affects their genetics is going to be very different. If we, we, so there's- Yeah,
0: it's a reflection of our ancestry and you know, how we've always lived. Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
1: So I think you just want to eat to be healthy, but how do you define health? Is it mental health, physical health? Is it, and you know, no one really knows, do they? But Mm. I think enjoying food, I don't need to tell you, is really important Mm. because I really feel sad when I see people having like protein powders and that's the...
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, but I think it's almost, it almost comes from like a fear of being deficient in certain yes. things. And I think, you know, certain protein powders are useful for people. Oh, yeah, don't um, you? I mean,
1: I I stir some in my granola, but I make yeah. my own granola. Yeah,
0: yeah. Because
1: if I just drink a protein powder drink, it I just tastes like chemicals. Yeah. I don't really yeah, yeah. like it. But if I, you know, I mix it up in a massive tub of granola that I make so I'm still enjoying it. But, yeah. I, you know, so...
0: I'll give you a protein uh, recipe. It's a plant-based one. Oh, it's got like hemp seed, mm. chilled hemp seeds. It's got um, some pumpkin seeds, nut butter and a few other bits mm. um, that are actually really good as sources of plant-based protein. Mm. Um, but it's not sort of that sort of chalky powder yeah. you get <laughs> yeah. with some vegan some protein. The, yeah. I, I mean, I don't drink any of that stuff. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think it's really interesting because I think there's a tendency to just veer toward specific metrics of well you need two grams per kilogram yes. of body weight um, in terms of protein mm. you need to make sure that you're uh, spreading that across three different meals because you can only absorb 25 to mm. 30 grams of protein at every single meal time and the reality is we're so different mm. and it really is a reflection of our genetics our exercise um, uh, performance every single day mm. I think our mental well-being as well of course it is there's loads there's, of the, loads there's of the so thing.
1: much and you know as you You know, I get migraines and if I exercise at the wrong time or too long, it will trigger a migraine. So it's all very well saying, oh, you should get up and do three hours of yoga before you eat or have time-restricted eating of 15 hours. Great, but I don't want a migraine every day. So you've got to change or or I've got to take my children to school. So I can't, you know. So I think that's where personalization of Medicine of any practice is, is really key. Because yeah. otherwise, you just compare yourself with others and you're going to fail.
0: Yeah. Last question, and this is a controversial one. Uh, what, have you, what have you changed your mind on over the last three years? If anything? Uh, <laughs>
1: no, I think, yeah, I've, I've got a, quite an open mind, and uh-huh. I've changed my mind on obviously thinking about hormones. I've changed my mind thinking about how important they are, rather than being scared of them. I've changed my mind on how I think about others. Actually, in that I suppose I've become more selfish as I've got older. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah, yeah, exactly. In that, I think there's always going to be noise. There's always going to be people saying things, but there's also it's trying to um, keep focused. I think is has been really important for me. Um and so I've changed my mind of trying to get people's opinions and trying to select who I get opinions from. And it's a bit like with the children, you know, if she said that, she said this, da da da. Right. Do you like them? Do you do you think they're good people? Well no, because it's always the bullies that often aren't. Well just ignore them then and enjoy the things that make you feel happy. And I've spent years telling my children that. So now I've got to tell myself. And I think having that, not just a Teflon brain to help me sleep a Teflon body yeah. and just keep being focused. And the other thing I'm really trying to do is surround myself by really good people because it makes, makes things easier, but it also makes you happier. It's like, if you have a happy person, you're gonna be more happy, aren't you, near you? So I think it's just changing that way. You can't please everybody. Yeah. Yeah. sort of mentality
0: yeah that's great I think and I've seen that in you I think you know you've had targets on your back to put it lightly uh, of the last few years and your disposition has definitely changed from one that's trying to battle mm. with them and actually mm. just being accepting of it yeah and yeah. just getting on with your job. And you're doing that so well. Really. Oh, so, thank you. Yeah. Well, no, you're, great. Me. you're great. You're great. <laughs> I'm a big support. I'm a big fan of you. And uh, I really appreciate you you're spending this moment with us. Oh, it's well, been great. I,
1: so, it's so lovely to be here in your new studio. Cheers. So, Cheers. It's, so, it's so great. And thank you for lunch.
0: Of today. course. Of course. Really Anytime much. you're in London, you've got to come. for lunch.
1: You'll regret saying that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was wonderful. thanks so much for listening to this episode of the doctor's kitchen podcast remember you can support the pod by rating on apple follow along by hitting the subscribe button on spotify and you can catch all of our podcasts on youtube if you enjoy seeing our smiley faces review show notes on the doctorskitchen.com website and sign up to our free weekly newsletters where we do deep dives into ingredients, the latest nutrition news, and of course, lots of recipes by subscribing to the Eat, Listen, Read newsletter by going to thedoctorskitchen.com forward slash newsletter. And if you're looking to take your health further, why not download the Doctor's Kitchen app for free from the App Store? I will see you here next time.